So let's turn again to the book of Acts, right. We'll be in Acts forever, I think. Um, we're going to be in chapter 13 of the book of Acts. If you'll turn there with me, that will be awesome. I titled it, Hearing God's Plans. Now, when you think about that, just the hearing of something, um, I, I, I know sometimes we're challenged some actually have hearing impairments. They, they need extra help to hear. Um, we all need extra help to hear. We need God's word. We need his spirit. And we need the fellowship of the body of Christ so we can hear God in our lives. God has individual plans for each one of us because we all have lives in which we work and go to school and, and live in families individually. But he also has a plan for his church. He doesn't just have a plan for his church. He has a plan for the whole world that his church is a part of. And so we want to be in tune with God. We want to hear from God. We don't want to be lost and, 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 and confused. We want to understand his plans for us. So as we begin to look at this chapter, chapter 13 of the book of Acts, let me just pause and pray. Ask God to open up our spiritual ears to hear him individually, but also corporately as a body. All right? Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you that you speak to us. Sometimes that scares us. Sometimes we feel like we've never heard from you. Thank you for your word, which helps to train us to understand how you speak and when you might speak into the lives of your people. Tune our ears to you. We know that Jesus said, his sheep hear his voice. So Lord, we want to be your sheep here, your flock here this morning. And we want to acknowledge you as our shepherd. And we want to hear your voice above all the other noise in the world. So do this by your spirit. For us here today, God. In Jesus we pray. Amen. So we're just going to read a couple of verses here at the beginning of chapter 13. Pastor Gary's going to pick up on the rest of the chapter next week. But here in the beginning, if you remember last week, we were back in Jerusalem. So chapter 12 of Acts was up talking about Peter and his imprisonment and, and the, the, the believers in Jerusalem. And if you remember back even the week before that, we were in Acts chapter 11, which was in Antioch. And we talked a, a, a lot about Antioch, the city that it was, and the type of, of people who had gathered there. Well, so chapter 11, we were in Antioch. Then Luke, inspired by the Spirit, decided to put chapter 12, a little view back into Jerusalem. And now we're going whoop, back into Antioch. So that's where we are. First couple words, we find that out. Luke is, is guiding us and helping us to see what God is doing in his people. Some of them in Jerusalem and in that surrounding area, and some in Antioch and that surrounding area. God's at work in multiple places because God is amazing like that. He doesn't have to be in one place at one time like you and I. He can be everywhere. Something we love about God. 
So here in chapter 13, let me read these few verses and then we'll discuss them and see what the Spirit will say to us as a church. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up from Herod, with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, I'll say that again, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. Three verses with a lot packed into them. So let's take a few minutes and unpack some of this together. It says that there were teachers and prophets in Antioch, and then there's a list of some of their names. This is a very interesting mix of people. I need you to understand that this, this list of names is an interracial, cross-cultural list of people of which the church in Antioch was being led. And it was going to become and has already been being formed by God to become a headquarters for worldwide missions so that Christianity could be spread. The Lord had called people into leadership from several different nations of the then known world. And they were led by the Holy Spirit to reach out to that world the world that they had come from, the world that some of them had grown up in. This could never have happened in the Jerusalem church because the Jerusalem church was exclusively Jewish. A group of people had grown up just in that small little country in that part of the world. But here in Antioch, it was a mixture of people. It was like a melting pot. We have Barnabas. Here's, here's what the mix was made up of. You, you have Barnabas. Barnabas had been a Levite, but he was a native of Cyprus. You probably can't see the small lettering on this map, and that doesn't matter. This map is a map of the Mediterranean area. Mediterranean Sea is in the middle. That's the blue. And all around it are these nations, some that I'm going to mention here. The little stars are the places from which those five men either grew up or spent significant amount of time in this life, in, this, in, in their lives. So we have Barnabas, who was a native of Cyprus. We find that out in, in Acts chapter 4. He had joined the church when he was at Jerusalem, And he was part of that whole Pentecost movement that took place as the Holy Spirit was given to the church. Simeon, which has a Latin name, Niger, which is actually the Latin word for black, he possibly is from North Africa. He's possibly black. Lucius, originally from Cyrene, is also a part of Africa. Manaean, special guy. He's from an aristocratic Jewish family. He was raised in the household 
with Herod Antipas. Lucius, no, I already did Lucius. And then we have Saul. Saul is the, the fifth of, the, of these guys. Now, we know Saul was from Tarsus. Tarsus is actually a part of Turkey today. We call that the, the nation of Turkey. Saul was also a Roman citizen. So I put a little star up there in the corner where you see Italy because, because Saul had somehow some deep connections with, with being Roman. And it's a good thing because that helped him in his mission, which we'll see in the coming chapters in Acts. And as you remember, Saul is also a converted Pharisee, deeply religious Jewish zealot in many ways, who spent a lot of time chasing around Christians and putting them in jail and even having some of them killed. This was a world fellowship that God used to start a world movement. He had already, through the persecution, moved some of them out of Jerusalem and into Antioch and other areas. And now the Holy Spirit was ready. He was going to move a few of them, not all of them. He was going to leave some of the leaders there and take two of them and move them out even further into his world. We, we see in this chapter later on that Mark... The same Mark who wrote the gospel of Mark would also join them in this mission. Mark was actually from Libya, the country of Libya as we know today, also in North Africa. You see, God was at work on his mission to reach the world. And often he has to use our individual backgrounds and our individual education and our individual traits and and our individual gifts in order to put together a team, a church, a group of people who are able to reach out to more and more people. Because if we were all the cookie cutter, all from the same stamp, we could only reach the people that were just like that stamp. So God used this varied group, and and, and Luke gives us a list of at least five of them who are all from a different background. Not one of them is the same. And yet they serve one God, and they have one Savior, Jesus Christ. They have one Spirit which has filled them and gifted them and inspired them to preach the gospel. And God's one plan is to reach the world with that gospel. Amen? So the Lord can use each one of us as well and all of our differences to reach our world too. That's the bottom line. It isn't just about the pastor or even the elders. It's about every single member of God's church who has also come to the saving knowledge of Christ, been filled with the Spirit, and been sent out by God into your little world to tell others of the goodness of God. So I'd like to pause right here and pray. I want us to understand our need for God, but also our need for our uniqueness, our need for all of your backgrounds, all of your education, all of your experiences at work, and all of your gifts, and all of your abilities. Every one of us is needed, just as Elder Aaron told us this morning. Those of you who are at home, the church needs you. Because we can't reach some of the people that you were meant to reach. So let's pray together.
Lord, we thank you for calling us to be your people. We thank you for salvation. And we thank you also for your Holy Spirit, that you've poured out your spirit and given your spirit to each one of us and prepared us for our life mission. By everything that we've been through in our lives, you've been preparing us. And even as a church, Holden Chapel, over these last 50 years, you've been preparing us. We pray that you would use what we are now discovering and going through in the book of Acts, that you would use it to lay out for us the next steps of your strategy for your people. We pray, may your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'd like us to not focus too much on the individuals that we just talked about. Because the most important person in this story, in this book, the book of Acts, is the Holy Spirit, who is a person, as Tanya said. It's not an it, it's not a mist, it's not you know, something that's just a spirit that nobody... It's a person, the person of God in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And the Spirit in this short passage that we have here this morning was speaking, was leading people, was giving them direction, was letting the church know what the next phase was of ministry. Because like Jerusalem, they didn't want to just stay there fellowshipping together, growing deeper in their relationship with each other and with Jesus, and forget about the world. In Antioch, they could barely forget about the world because they were members of that world who had come together in Antioch. But the same thing could happen. They could start to just grow inward and be comfortable with each other and always be happy with just, you know, those four and no more type of thing, you know. And yet the Holy Spirit's goal, God's goal, is to reach the nations of the world. So the Holy Spirit is the active agent, the the most important person in this story. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. And the they here, as you study the the scripture, the they, it may refer to just those five people. But it is more likely that it actually refers to the church in Antioch. While the church in Antioch was fasting and praying is the assumption here. Now, I want us to think for a minute about the pattern that we're seeing here. Because if you know the Gospels, you know that there are times of fasting and prayer that preceded Jesus entering his ministry. He was filled with the Holy Spirit at his baptism. God spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then it says the Holy Spirit drove him out into the wilderness for 40 days of prayer and fasting where he was also tempted by the enemy. So fasting took place. Then he came back filled with the Holy Spirit and began his three and a half years of ministry, powerful ministry for God. So we see that pattern already having been set by Jesus. 
We see it as well back in the first chapters of Acts with Pentecost, with that early group of believers who Jesus said, go and wait, go, go and wait for the gift of my spirit, for the power of the spirit. Then you will be my witnesses. And so they went and they gathered together, 120 of them, and they prayed and maybe they fasted. It doesn't mention fasting, but at least they were together in that corporate sense. And then the spirit came. So we see a pattern here in Antioch. As they were gathered together, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit then spoke. See, there's a pattern here, the Jesus pattern. And when the Holy Spirit spoke, he gave them direction. Like the mission of Jesus and the mission of the apostles at Pentecost the mission of Paul and Barnabas was preceded by this prayer, was, was coming out as a fruit of that time of prayer. Let's say it that way. It was directed by the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit speaks, saying, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to, this is only the third time in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit is actually recorded as speaking. Directly. So we're all the way in chapter 13, and, and it's only been the third time that the Spirit has spoken directly into the situation. The times before that the Holy Spirit has spoke were directly to two individuals. One of them was Philip, and the other one was Peter. In this case, for the first time and the only time in the book of Acts, the Spirit speaks to a group. This interests me a lot. Because I think over the years of growing in the Lord and the years of studying his word and the years of being part of the church, I have tried to be able to distinguish the voice of God. For me, inside of my head, inside of my spirit. But when we come together as a group, that's where things get mm, a little difficult. Because we all have different ideas, and we all have different personalities, and we all have different, you know, opinions, and we love to share those opinions, right? It's not a bad thing, but often in the midst of sharing your opinion and your idea, and the, the thing that you're thinking about, your, your hobby horse, your favorite thing, in the midst of all that sharing, the voice of God, the distinction of what the Spirit is saying to all of us, sometimes gets mixed up in that mess, and we're not sure how to discern. So this is very interesting to me, that this is the first and only time in the book of Acts that it's actually recorded this way, that, that it, it's them all there together, worshiping the Lord and fasting, and the Holy Spirit says, doesn't say a prophet said it, doesn't say the pastor said it, the teacher said it. Somehow they discerned together the voice of the Spirit. I'm hungry for that. I'm thirsty for that. I pray about that. I talk to the elders about that. We go on retreat and try to discern and try to understand. How does that happen? How does God do that? We all have different brains. We all have different emotion systems. We all have different, we're just so different. How can he do that? But I'm so glad to know he can do that. That God is able to do that. 
I think the reason for this being such an important moment in Christian history, and we need to pay attention to it, is because it shows how important reaching the world is to God. He doesn't do it this way to tell us what kind of potluck to have, what the theme of our fall retreat should be, how much money we should put in the budget. He does it this way, in this very unique way, to let us know, to let the church know that God's heart is for the world. He loves his people. He loves his church. It's his bride after all. But he loves the lost as well. He came to save the lost. And if the church loses that emphasis, if we forget about that, we could just be happy together. We're happy together. You know, there's even a song like that. We don't sing it in church. But, but that idea of like, we're good. The job's done. There's this old song by Keith Green. You got to be old like me to know Keith Green. But his lyrics, I, I, I don't know why. Some of them you just cannot forget. But there's one that he sings to the church. Can't you see? Can't you see? All the people sinking down. Don't you care? Don't you care? Are you going to let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? Don't close your eyes and pretend the job's done. I don't know what song that is, but the lyrics will forever be with me. I don't know if it's just me individually because I could lose sight of the world. I was brought up in the church. I was brought up by a pastor and his wife. I could easily just see the world as this very small little place and be very comfortable there. I don't know, but the words to that song, how can you be so numb not to care if they come? Don't close your eyes and pretend the job's done. I feel like that, those lyrics come directly from the Spirit, directly from God's heart to reach the world. It's important to realize that at Antioch, we find people that somehow are able to listen to the Spirit, to find the will of God, to discern what he's saying so clearly that they all heard it together. I believe that this can be true of us as well, could be true of us as well. Because I believe wherever men and women give themselves totally to the, the discipline, the actions that God calls us to, seeking him, looking for him, desiring him, spending time with him, attuning our bodies, attuning our minds to be hungry for him, that he will fill them. He will feed them. He will give them what they really, truly seek. When they seek with their whole heart, he says, with all your heart. Not half-hearted, but with your whole heart. I want to hear the Spirit speaking to us. 
I want to know the direction that he has for our church. We've had a great 50 years. Ups and downs. It wasn't perfect, but great. But what's next, God? What's next? And if we will worship and fast and pray, I believe he will speak to us. Because the Holy Spirit is not silent. He speaks. And he doesn't only speak to individuals in their own private prayer life. He does, but I believe he can do more if we let him out of the box. We've kind of put him in a box. I got to be in my quiet time. I got to be in my favorite chair. I got to have my favorite journal. I got to have my favorite Bible. I got to be real quiet. I got to put on some quiet worship music. And then maybe God will speak. It's a box, people. I got the same box. I built the same box, so I'm not judging anyone. I like that box. (laughs) But I want to believe for something bigger. I want to believe that, yes, we've had 50 years. Awesome. Let's have an even better next 50 years. Let's see what God can do when his people listen for his voice and follow his direction. He can speak to us as a church. God spoke to the whole church here in Antioch. I don't know why we don't expect him to speak to us as a body. I think because we struggle with it, and then after you struggle with something for so long, you got this attitude. I do too. Again, I'm not pointing the finger at you. I've already preached the sermon to myself, okay? Already fallen under conviction, already went through repentance, all the things I need to do that you probably need to do too. But anyway, I get to this place where I, I know that he can speak But I forget that he's speaking to more than just me. He's speaking to his people, his sheep. And as we say in our confession, there's one God and one church and one spirit and one Lord and Savior. You know, that there's this oneness. And Jesus' prayer in John 17 was, Lord, let them be one as you and I are one. But when we come together, we're a lot of individuals. We got a lot of ideas. We got a lot of opinions. Where's the oneness? It's only found in Jesus. It's only found in Him. We're too individually minded to be any good. We're too individually minded. We've been trained by our culture. Now, you all know this verse Jeremiah 29 11. You could do it from heart, but let's just read it together. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Do you know the rest? They're plans to prosper you and not to harm you. They're plans to give you a hope and a future. Okay, stop right there. Who is the you? Who is the you? Is it you, Diane? He knows the plans he has for you, and he knows the plans he has for you, and for you, and for you, and all the individuals have a plan. Or is the you the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ? I know the plans I have for all of you, or in the South they say, y'all. Their plans to prosper y'all. And give you all a hope in the future. That is 
what that means. We like to take that and make it individual because we like to be selfish, I guess. We like to just think it's just me and Jesus and that's all I need. But we need to have a corporate mindset. We are members of God's household. We're not an only child. But sometimes we act like an only child and we think like an only child and it's all about me, me, me. Not in the Bible. It's not the way to live biblically, but it's the way our culture pushes us, pushes us, pushes us, and we give in. Let's read the rest of that passage to understand how we can combat this. So, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. And then the next verse, the very next verse, Jeremiah 29, 12, so we all know 11, we got it on t-shirts and coffee mugs, but 12 says, then you will, what? Call upon me. What does that mean? Pray fast, earnestly pray, seek him. Then you will call on me, and you will come, and you will pray to me. And we love this. And he will listen. Hallelujah. That is the good news of the gospel. Because of Jesus, he will listen. Without Jesus, no guarantees. But through the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, the grace and forgiveness of God, he will listen to you. He will listen to you. And then Jeremiah 29, 13 says, And you will seek me, you all, And y'all will find me when y'all seek me with all y'all's heart. That's how you say it down south, right? With all y'all's heart, right? So again, we want to make it personal. We want to make it just for me. This is just for me in my prayer journal. No, it's not. This is corporate. This is God talking to his people. In the Old Testament, yes, but, but we are God's people. We've been grafted into that vine. We are part of that family. So he's speaking to all of us. So many of scriptures are plural, not singular. Unfortunately, we think singular. We think just me. But so many of them, if you go back into the original languages, Hebrew, Greek, all of that, you will see, not singular, but plural. When he says y'all, we ought to have a southern Bible that says y'all when it needs to, right? I think the believers in Antioch kept reading Jeremiah. They didn't stop at 2911. They read 12, and they read 13, and they read 14, and they kept reading, right? They didn't just pick a little slogan. Oh, that sounds nice. Let's put it on a coffee mug. You know, they actually sought God when he said to seek me. And, and that he would promise to listen and that he would be there to, to prosper them and to help them. They were seeking God with all their hearts in Antioch. I believe this. And when the Spirit spoke, the Antioch believers responded. They didn't just stop there. When he said, take these two and send them, set them apart and send them, They did more fasting. You see, they were fasting and praying before. They were worshiping the Lord before. And then the Spirit spoke. And then look look with me. 
The Spirit speaks at the end of, of verse 2. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them to, period. End of the Spirit speaking. So before that, they were worshiping and fasting. And then right after that, look at, look at verse 3. And so after they had fasted and prayed, some more, I know it doesn't say some more in your, in your translation, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. Now, I don't have time to give you a whole lesson on fasting and prayer, but one day soon we will, okay? Amen. One day soon we will. I need to check the time sometimes because I get so excited about God's word and I want you to have, have it all, like drink it all from the fire hose. But I know, <laughs> we can't have it all. Fasting and prayer this combination is something that God uses in our lives to, to sort of break us down, get us out of the ordinary, help us to listen more intently, help us to confess the things that he brings up and receive from him the things that we need to receive. Some of you know about fasting and prayer, and some of you do not. Certain traditions in the church have taught people about fasting and prayer, and some have not. We have not done a great job at Holden Chapel. We've talked about it occasionally but it has not been worked into the fabric of who we are as a people. I think it's time. Year 51, the year 51 of our existence, we should begin to learn how to really earnestly seek God through prayer, through worship, and fasting. Fasting is setting aside something, another thing that fills us. So, Specifically, in Scripture, it was food. Food was a big deal back then. They did not have ready, ready, what is that called? They didn't have honey farms. How about that? They didn't have food in the, in the gas station. They didn't have food, you know, in every place that they went. They had to, like, go to the field, get the grain, pound it with a stick or something, take the grain apart, grind it up with a stone, and they had to make it into bread. It was a huge process. They had to spend lots of time. If they wanted to eat some meat, they didn't go big wide of the meat counter. They had to go out to the field, get a lamb, chop his head off, drain the blood, go through the process, skin him, get all his guts out. All that stuff you have to do. And then finally cook the meal. Sorry. It took a long time. So fasting freed up a lot of time for them. Now, we're like the fast food culture, so fasting might not take, take more than like 10 minutes because you sit down, you get your burger, you shove it in your mouth, you drink it, and you move on, right? You drink your drink, and you move on. So, so fasting may not be the thing that you need to do with food, but I'll tell you what you do need to do it with. I bet you can guess. Let's all say it together. One, two, three. Technology! Oh, we got so much technology, we're going to choke on it. We got everything is a technology, everything. Alexa, do this. Blah, blah, blah. You know, we just all the time and technology, technology. The car, the car's talking to you. You know, everything you have is talking to you and saying stuff and warning you and giving you an alert and blah, blah, blah. And emails are coming in and texts are coming in and it never stops. That's taken a lot of time. If you fasted from that... How much time would you have to pray and listen and hear God? Oh, my phone. Oh, my watch just went off. I reached my goal. Seriously, it just did. 
That's got to be God, right? 9,000 steps. Awesome. You know? Like, it's everywhere. It, in, it inserts itself everywhere. Unless, unless you're the McKay's. No, just kidding. <laughs> there are some people who have kept a, a, a good wall up against all of this. This lovely couple over here. So they have time to pray for you. And they do pray for you. It's a serious thing. Right? I know. It's part of our jobs. It's part of how we have to communicate. I'm not saying you give it up altogether. All I'm saying is maybe you fast from it once a week. Maybe there's a way to work your schedule so that you can lay it down and you can pick up God's word and you can meditate on it and you can fill yourself up with it in such a way that when the spirit speaks to you, you understand it isn't just for you. It's also for his people. And when we come together, we share, God, God is doing this work in us. He's calling us to do these things. He's setting aside this mission for us this year. I would love that. Because I'm afraid that we're missing out on some of what God has because we're too crazy. We got too many different ideas. We got too many technologies telling us stuff and we're telling each other stuff and we're not quiet before him. So they did something. They, they, they worshiped, it says in this passage, in, chapter, in verse two. They fasted. Oh, wait, I got one more thing I want to say. In verse two, I, I like that it says, while they were worshiping and then there's two little words after that. Can you read them to me? While they were worshiping the Lord. While they were worshiping the Lord. It's important because we worship lots of stuff. And one of the stuff that we worship a lot is ourselves. Sometimes we make worship about us. We come to church to worship the things we like. Sing the songs we like. Do the things we like when really we're here to worship the Lord. Lay down what we like and pick up what he likes. So that's just another whole thing. We won't be doing that today. They worshiped. They were fasting. Then the Holy Spirit spoke. And then in verse 3, they fasted some more. They prayed some more. And then they placed their hands on them and they set them off. They sent them off. Placing hands on someone is like a, like a blessing we see in scripture that the blessing is transferred that way. But it's also like a, 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 a authorizing. Go for us. Go with our blessing. Go for us and tell the world about Jesus. And we've done that over these last 50 years. In fact, I, if you remember when we had our celebration, we have sent more than 35 people to become missionaries from, from this church. Some still serve. Rick, Rick Sacra, who's over here on the base, he just got, when did you get back? Midnight Friday. He just got back midnight from Africa, right? And look at, he's here playing already, you know? So we have people who have, who have been a part of our fellowship, who have gone and, and continue to go to preach the gospel for us. We are in partnership with them. It is a co-mission. The co-mission with God together 
and a co-mission with one another to support one another, to pray for one another, to give financial support and prayer support and physical strength support, whatever they need. So our missions program is an important part of what God is doing on the earth. The Spirit of God is still reaching the world. And the question is, are we, are you, am I even thinking about it, even aware of it? We need to understand that there are people even here this morning, maybe they're in the children's program this morning, who God is going to call and send out to be his missionaries somewhere in this world, maybe a college campus, maybe a small village in Africa, maybe who knows where. God is still at work. We as a church have to still listen intently so we can hear. In order to do that, we have to set some things aside so that we can understand what the will of God is for his church in the world today. We're not just supposed to be cowering in a corner. We're not just supposed to be partying together and being happy with just each other. Jesus came for the whole world. And he wants the whole world to know of his grace and love and forgiveness. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us first and reaching us. Help us, Lord, to hear you to listen for you, to pray earnestly, to understand what the Spirit is speaking to the church so that we may walk in your ways, that we may see salvation and healing and deliverance and restoration in this world in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.